Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's our goal to share financial information that helps you in both your life and financial vineyard. We hope it takes you from your roots to the journey of your vines and the influences in the air that help craft your delicious life. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dine with Amy Irvine and Carrie Bean. My swanky little introduction there, Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Friday morning that Carrie and I are actually recording. And um, I have dedicated the month of March to port wines. I, um, when I recorded early this month with Kate, we were talking about different wines that are heavy in topic or heavy in nature because the topic of taxes are heavy in nature. And I um, remember that in the book that I wrote, Uncork Your Finances, I had suggested pairing a port wine with the topic of taxes. So after her and I discussed the uh, barrel aged bourbon or bourbon barrel aged Barbera wine, I decided to dedicate the rest of the month to port wine. So, um, have you ever had a port wine? I don't know my wines well enough to know if I have or not. Okay. There's, um, I would say they're a heavier wine. Um, it's, it's, they're sippers, um, port wines, I would say are sippers. And, um, I would say that, you know, you don't want to like, just, you want to really be, I think in the, I think that's why I like them for the winter too. Cause I think you want to be in the mood for a port wine. Uh, they can be very dry, but have, I don't know if I want to say sweetness to them. That's not really the right terminology, but they, they are, they can also fall in the category of a dessert wine. So they're rich, um, usually very warm in like they, they add some warmth to your mouth and, um, and I would say really concentrated flavor. Um, so I did some digging through, cause you know, I always like to do finger lakes wines, um, when we're talking about things. So I did some digging to come up with, um, a couple of finger lakes wines and the one that, I already recommended was Lakewood. That was last week. So the second one I came up with that um, I think you can probably find fairly frequently would be probably the 
paler wine port. So, um, or Glenora would probably be the other one. Those would be the ones that I would recommend. Probably Glenora would be the one I would recommend after Lakewood for people to try. So next time you come to New York, we'll have to take you on a port tour. Sounds great. (laughs) It is Friday. Do you have one sitting out on the counter for yourself? Yeah, I do not. Um, Maybe last weekend. So Alan and I are slowly educating ourselves on the different ones. Um, And we don't know very much about it. So what we're doing is we're trying to figure out what we'd like and don't like. And it's also one of those things you should probably write down, but we don't. So we had a Malbec (laughs) last weekend. And after a few glasses, we kind of decided we didn't like it. So I don't know if it was the brand or that we don't like Malbecs. So mm-hmm. could be the region. Yeah. 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 It was a lot. Like we were just kind of I don't know if heavy is the right word. I don't even know if a Malbec is normally heavy, but it was just it was just a little bit too much for us. And we don't mind the dry, mm-hmm. so that wasn't it at all. So we'll have to mm-hmm. get keep giving it a try and not roll Malbec out yet. But definitely yeah, we'll try different remember reasons. that one. I think um, when I was out to see you uh, in December, we had a Chianti and (laughs) your son, Rainer, every time he sees a Chianti now, he takes a picture of it and sends it to me. (laughs) Yes. He just likes the word. And when you were here, I think you said it. So he thinks it's so funny that he recognizes it. (laughs) I love it. Well, so we're speaking of children, like that transition. Speaking of children, today, uh, being in March, we're still talking, or actually, I think when this is going to be released, it's early April. Um, we are going to be talking about some myths and facts around 529 contributions, HSA contributions, things that are important for people to know that it can affect their taxes to a certain extent. Um, we got a few more weeks until tax season is over. Some things it's too late to, you know, maximize. Other things you still have a little bit of time on. But there's also some, I want to say, misconceptions around uh, some of the stuff that we wanted to sort of take some time to clear up. So let's first dig into maybe some uh, 529 discussion, and then we can maybe shift over to HSAs and FSAs a little bit. But this is a topic that's near and dear to your heart right now, right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> what are some of the things that you think it's important for people to know about 529 plans? Um, a few things. Definitely the earlier you start saving for college, the better, regardless of it, if it's a 529 or not. But the other thing is a lot of people think they have to enroll in their state plan you know, whatever state they live in, they're supposed to be in that state plan. And that's simply not true. There are a lot of plans in in states that you don't live in that you can enroll in. Um, And most states, it doesn't, you know, necessarily matter if you go to a, you know, it doesn't matter which college you go to, regardless of the state. So that's, I think that's a myth. Um, You do need to look at and, and evaluate, is there a tax benefit for being in your state plan? Um, so some homework would be needed on that side, depending on your state. So <clears throat> um, one of the other questions I think or myths that I think of is, and it can be confusing and everyone's situation is different, but thinking that you need a 529 for every single, you know, or multiple children. Um, I think it's definitely a timing thing. And there are clients that 
it's better to have more than one 529. But for me, I currently, you know, have one child in college and one child in high school, and we just have one 529 account. And it will time out where the oldest will be out of college when the youngest starts. So we didn't see a need for multiple 529 accounts. Um, but that would be something you would want to look at in your particular situation. Just making sure, do you need more than one or do you can, can one serve its purpose? Um, and definitely working with a plan, you know, a financial planner and helping you figure that out would be mm-hmm. good. Um Some other myths, I think, are maybe the tax benefits around it. Some states offer, you know, a a tax benefit and some don't. So you need to look at the state that you live in um, and if if there's a tax benefit there or if if you, you know, if you live in a state where there's not, then definitely it doesn't matter which one you're in. Um, I'm sure there are the Utah 529 plan, I think, works with multiple states as well. So like if you're in New York, New York has a 529 plan and they they tie it to the New York. Like you get the deduction if you contribute to the New York 529 plan. But I believe that if you participate in the Utah 529 plan, you still get that same benefit. You still get the deduction. Yeah. And it's a really low cost plan. So we, we recommend that plan a lot. I mean, we like the New York plan too, but if you're in a state that's not like New York, that doesn't have like the Vanguard plan, the low cost plan, then we have a tendency to go to that um, Utah 529 or even a private 529 plan um, in some cases is beneficial to families. So yeah, I think it's important to, to look at your total situation. Like you said, the other thing that comes to my mind is people think, well, if we put the money in the 529 and my child doesn't go to college, you know, they lose it or they're, you know, it can't be taken out. And that's simply not true either. You have options there. I mean, obviously it can't now there's now there's a option to use it not only on college, but on, you know, tuition in lower, you know, and when they're in elementary and high school, you can use it for certain instances there um and the other thing people don't realize is certain states yeah not all states adopted that yeah 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 um the other thing i think is people don't realize well one you can just change the beneficiary to another child that may go later or you can withdraw the money um you know you may pay a penalty or you know have taxes taxes Mm -hmm. but you don't lose the money so but that money, so when people are like, well, I'd have to pay taxes and a penalty. But if that money was sitting in a brokerage account, you would have paid taxes on it along the way. You may not have paid the penalty, but you would have paid the taxes along the way. And if you got a state income tax deduction, like, you know, there's a reason why they want their, you, you got that deduction along the way. They want their money back if you aren't going to use it for college. The other thing that um, I think is always important to mention to people is that you also can use it for trade schools now. So um, in the past, it it was like an accredited school, like a a four-year degree. You already mentioned like the the undergraduate, the like the uh, secondary school, you know, that that that's something that you could use it for in some states. But now you can use it for trade school and you can use up to $10,000 for student loans. So if if you don't use all the 529 plan, you know, that's that's something that you could use towards student loans as well. And in a lot of cases, Carrie, some of our clients are sending their kids to college and they still have student loans. So they could transfer 
$10,000 over to themselves and use it to pay off their own student loans in some circumstances. So I think that's important to know as well. And um, if you get a scholarship, because the feedback that I usually get is like, well, what if my kid's super smart and they get scholarships or what if they get an athletic scholarship? The um, penalty does not apply if you get a scholarship and withdraw the amount equivalent to the scholarship. So most people think their kids are going to go to college in some way, shape or form, but they're worried about over-contributing in the event that their children get scholarships. And I, I think that's you know, that that provision that says, well, if you get scholarships, you can still get the money out. You aren't going to pay a penalty in that situation. So there again, you know, it's it's encouraging people to save for college. Yeah. And I think when you take distributions as well, if you listen to last week's podcast or the week before that that podcast with Becky and I, we did caution people that you can't you can't double count things. So I just want to reiterate that if you're taking the American tax credit or the lifetime learning credit, you can't also take 529 plan for the same dollars. So you have to be careful about not double counting some of that stuff um, when you're when you're doing your taxes too. Um, and, and not all states have a deduction, right? Um, some states have a deduction for making the contributions and some states don't. So you have to look at your local. There's no federal deduction. It's at the state level. So any other thoughts or ideas around 529 plans that you wanted to share or any other myths or facts that you wanted to share? I can't think of any. I think just sort of reiterating making a plan earlier. Uh, that's just from personal experience. <laughs> Because having one in college, we, we have saved some in a 529. Um, but I will say time passed a lot more quickly than we expected it to. So, yeah, I think starting early and, and not feeling like you have to have a whole, you know, a big amount each month to set aside. So, yeah. So make a plan early. Start small. I mean, you can start small. Um. And how about sort of shifting directions just a little bit? I know that you've always been a big fan uh, of high deductible health insurance plans with HSAs. Let's talk a little bit about that because we're getting um, down to the wire of tax season ending and people are often looking for opportunities to maximize their tax deductions. And so we often talk about HSAs and the distributions from HSAs as some possible options and the difference between those and FSAs. So let's let's kind of give a high level, maybe start with a high level. What's the difference between an HSA and an FSA? Yeah, I think that's probably the most confusing thing where people get confused because I know the conversations I've had with not even just clients, just people talking about healthcare is... The health savings account, you, you know, you own the account and the money does not go away at the end of the year. And, and with the flexible spending account, it's sort of a use it or lose it. Um, the health savings account, you know, with the word savings in there, you can think of it like a, a savings account. And whatever you put in that, um, it, it's not going away. You're saving either for future medical expenses. You can actually use it in retirement for different things. Um, and after a lot of accounts, even after a certain minimum balance, say like maybe 5,000, you can even invest it. So 
definitely a lot of opportunities there for tax advantages for now and and in the future. Um, I'm not against flexible spending accounts, but definitely evaluate your choices whenever you're doing open enrollment. And we want people to consider using the health savings account because it teaches us to save not only for healthcare expenses now, but potentially healthcare expenses in the future. And there's a tax advantage. You know, it, it comes out of your paycheck similar to your retirement uh, 401k pre-tax account. You're not getting taxed on that money. It's going into your health savings account. And as long as you use it for, you know, qualified expenses, that's money that will never be taxed. So that's a huge advantage. Um, and you yeah. have until April 15th to fully fund an HSA. So if you're looking for, if you didn't fully fund your, your HSA for 2021, you actually have until April 15th to fully fund that. And unlike a lot of other, like a IRA has certain income limits that put in place, HSAs don't. So that's something that you, you know, again, look to see if you're not maximizing your HSA, perhaps you should be number one. And secondly, if you're looking to lower your tax liability and you didn't fully fund your HSA, you actually have until April 15th to do that. Unlike the FSA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The HSA also is portable, right? That's the other thing. The HSA is portable. So if you leave your employer, that goes with you. Yeah, that's the nice thing. Even if even if you change, you know, employers and you change what kind of healthcare plan you're in and you're not in a high deductible healthcare plan anymore, you can that account is still yours. You have to be more, you know, meaning mindful of can you use the health the health savings account? Because if you don't have a high deductible healthcare plan, you technically you know don't need to be using your health savings account. But you can think of it as more of an investment for the future. You know, just leave it there and and save it for, you know, if you do change back to a high deductible plan or even later in life using it during retirement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The other nice thing about HSA that I just want to highlight, too, is that once you turn 65, you can actually use it for anything. So it basically becomes like an IRA at that point in time. Now, if you use it for medical, it's not taxable. But if you, you can use it for anything without a penalty after age 65. So conversely, an FSA, if you leave an employer and you haven't used all the FSA that you put into the account, you leave that on the table. You walk away from, potentially walk away from money if you leave an employer. So let's say that it's October and you've been putting in, you know, I don't know, hundred bucks a week or something. Then, you know, you're basically, well, uh, that's probably not a great example, but let's say it's, it's um, 50 bucks a week. And, you know, you're 40 weeks into the year, so you've contributed $2,000, then and you've used a 1000 of that. That's all you've used. So there's actually a balance of $1,000. If you leave that employer, you leave that $1,000. You don't get reimbursed for that. The employer keeps it because they were committed to whatever dollar amount you said, and you just simply didn't use it. So unlike the HSA, the money doesn't follow you. And it doesn't accumulate. You can take, is it $500 or $550 a year you can transfer over, I think, Carrie? That's the new thing that, so. that you can move from the HSA so, yeah. from year to year. But, you know, it's, you don't want to be doing that every year either because, again, you know, it's not, it's, it is a use it or lose it environment, unlike the HSA. Um, 
So it's yeah. it's important to understand those differences uh, so that pe- people aren't yeah. misunderstanding. Yeah. The other thing that comes to my mind in the difference in the HSA and the FSA is the amount that you can contribute to the account. Um, the HSA is a little bit higher um, each year, and it is based on uh, age. So if you're um, under 50, then it's... Uh, I'm, trying to double check the limits because it does uh, change each 55 year. 55 for HS. Yeah, for, oh, it's 55, 55 yep. for HSA. Yep, yep. Yep. So um, HSA, and it also depends on whether you're single or you have a family, but for like for 2022, an individual can put up to 3650 and a family can contribute up to 7300 whereas an FSA is a little bit different. Um you can't contribute as much. You can only for 2022 put in $2,750 into the FSA. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be mindful of too. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, those limits are much higher. Now your deductibles are usually so much higher and that's kind of the reason why you're able to put a little bit more in. But uh, if you're looking, for, if you're you know looking for that deduction and you know, the other thing I guess I just want to mention along those lines is that, so, so this is a, I think a, one of those myth things, like people think if they're, um, if they've got a lot of medical problems that they would always want to go with like a PPO plan that has a FSA associated with it. But if you have a lot of medical issues in most cases with the plan, with the numbers that we've run, the plans that we've seen, it actually makes more sense to go with a high deductible healthcare plan because you usually with an HSA, because you usually end up doing max out of pocket with the HSA sooner than you'll do match max out of pocket with the PPO plan and FSA. So don't assume that just because you have some pretty significant medical problems that the HSA isn't right for you because you just look at the deductible. Oftentimes the deductible and the max out of pocket aren't that far apart. Where with the PPO plan, there's a lower deductible, but the max out of pocket might be larger. So you have to look at all the facts in your healthcare situation. We find that people that are healthy and people that have a lot of medical, chronic medical issues are usually better with the HSA. And then the people in the middle, sometimes, you know, that are, are better off with a PPO uh, and an FSA. And it also depends on your risk tolerance for some of that, right? I think that's an important topic. If you're over age 55, so the reason Carrie was mentioning 50 is because with IRAs, if you're o- if you're over the age of 50 with IRAs and um, 401k plans, 50 is where the catch-up starts. With HSAs, it's 55 that the catch-up starts. So just a different um, a different age for HSAs than 401ks and IRAs. Um, okay. Any other tips or ideas that you wanted to share with folks uh, with regards to those two topics or any fun topics in those particular arenas that you think is important for people to know? Yeah, I think just don't be intimidated by them. I mean, starting small, I think with the 529, do a little bit of research, reach out to a financial planner if you have questions, but educate yourself on your state and mm-hmm. and think about starting early. Um, but if you even if you haven't started early, just get started um, and, and don't feel early. like, yeah, don't feel like, you know, you can't do it. So just get started. And with the health savings account, it's 
it is a scary thing to transition from a regular sort of deductible or lower deductible plan to a higher deductible plan because I know even before I did financial planning, I was attracted to the health savings account because I, I learned how it worked and I really liked it. Um, but that first year when, when you've had a, a, a medical plan where you've had just sort of a lower deductible and all of a sudden January 1, now your deductible's, you know, 3000 or $5,000 um, and you just start contributing to your health savings account. Well, if you're putting $100 per pay period in that health <laughs> savings account, you don't have the money, you know, necessarily in the health savings account. So just maybe making sure that that first year or two, for, for me, it was a couple of years um, mm-hmm. before I felt comfortable with my health savings account balance. Because if something did come up, you know, you are going to sort of be using your own, it's all your own money, but you'll be using your cash flow money that you're sort of, I would consider your living expenses money um, mm-hmm. to pay that mm-hmm. deductible. So just thinking about that first year um, where you you're transitioning into a high deductible plan and having the the money set aside in case something comes up and you don't have it in your health savings account. So that was a the, the thing that comes to mind. And I think it's one thing that keeps people wanting to transition to that health savings account. But honestly, once you get past that, I find it very it, it makes me feel more organized and feel like it's separate from our regular living expenses. And I actually like that piece. I feel like anytime we go to the doctor or anytime we go to the pharmacy, um, knowing that I have this health savings account with a balance that I've built up, it's really nice to use that because it is our money, but it's completely separate than, you know, our regular cash flow. So I, I enjoy that side of it. Yep. And the other thing that I just want to mention along the lines of FSA, so if you have an HSA and your company has a dependent care FSA or a special purpose FSA, you can still use those too. So that lets you really maximize the tax deductions. A dependent care FSA, you can use those money for things like child care or elder care for a parent that you're taking care of. And a special purpose FSA is for things like dental and vision. So your company may offer all of those options. And we generally, when we're working with folks, we generally encourage people to take advantage of whatever they can along those lines uh, because it makes it all pre-tax. And that's really meaningful because it's so hard to itemize anymore. And even if you do itemize, it's really hard to get over the limit of seven and a half percent of adjusted gross income for medical expenses. So as you can tell, Carrie and I could probably sit here all day and talk about this sort of stuff, banter back and forth. And, you know, we always want to give the disclosure, this was educational in nature and we're not giving advice to you specifically. What we hope that you get out of this is some keywords that you might want to go research or ask about. Um, And as always, we hope that you'll pass us along to your friends and your neighbors. And if you do have any specific questions that you'd like us to answer, please send it to us. As you know, we have that uh, asking for a friend Um, that we always do in our newsletter. We'd love to feature one of your questions there. We've had some great questions come in from some of our listeners that we featured in our newsletter, weekly newsletter under that section. 
And we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So feel free to join us there and ask any questions that you might have along those lines. We hope you all have enjoyed the show once again, and I can say happy spring. Um, Hopefully (laughs) wherever you are, the sun is shining and you're starting to see the flowers pop up. Thanks for joining us all. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dine. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.